From Central Source and the Fifth Element Podcast Network, this is In Search of Source, a celebration of the writers who are saving music journalism from death by clickbait. My name is Ryan Gore, and today I'm joined by Mickey Hellerback. What's up, guys? I'm Mickey Hellerback. Excited to be back on the show on our regular scheduled programming. I uh, guess I'm supposed to plug something here, right? Yeah, man. <laughs> um, oh, well, we definitely, I think the, the best thing to plug really is the, um, the two, two other versions of our podcast, which we've released recently. One is um, Stirring the Sauce that I uh, co-hosted with Joshua Wadera. Um, it's kind of a new offshoot of ISOS uh, where we discuss um kind of cultural issues that align with music or musicians um and discuss with uh kind of sort of a round table but individually journalists about pieces that they've 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 written about um the problem or topic at hand um and then also would definitely like to promote uh an interview i did with ryan and our other podcast homie brandon with uh jermaine hall who's the editor-in-chief at level magazine through medium um, where we get the true pronunciation of the word biopic and a lot of other really <laughs> crucial information besides <laughs> that, which is not very crucial. <laughs> and I'm also joined by Tyler Jones. Hello, hello. Uh, yeah, I am always a regular on the Discovery section for the Why We Like It series for Central Sauce. Also a curator for the Season Sauce playlist as Mickey helps with uh, our Sleepy Sauce. Um, only thing I can possibly plug is i don't know just uh take uh journalism seriously and like always check out one of these articles we're uh, highlighting guys yeah man that's the best plug plug the thing you're doing right now perfect <laughs> 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 oh and uh one one other plug i guess this is not coming until next year but everyone be look out for it um i have a poetry book uh, titled songs for women coming um and very looking forward to that yeah yeah Awesome, man. As I said, my name's Ryan Gore, writer at Central Source. Um, I guess I don't have much to promote on the website right now, but in the coming week, you'll get a Why We Like It from me. You can, of course, listen to the Jermaine Hall interview that Mickey mentioned and check out the um, Season Source, which I'm a series I'm really uh, excited about the future of. And yeah, you'll see a couple pieces from me outside of Central Source, hopefully this week, fingers crossed. Cool. So, uh, with that out of the way, let's talk about what we've been listening to. Let's start with you, Tyler. Um, for me, I'm, I've been listening to the Meg album, which has some really, really good hitters on there. But the second thing I've listened to is probably more frequently, honestly, has been the BTS album, B. Um, it's a more of an EP than it is an album, but it is entirely produced by the members when it comes from the jacket shooting to the design to production lyrics, obviously. They, and it's really good. It's almost like it's not a goodbye album because I don't want to say that K-pop stands don't kill me. Um, <laughs> it's But it's more of a appreciation album to the fans and army. And I've really, really been enjoying that. Outside of those two new releases, I've been listening to Lupe Fiasco's Food and Liquor. Mm. Uh, I've just been on an old kick of just Lupe. I've listened, re-listened to that, The Cool, even Lasers, and finding a, a lot of appreciation and just 
realizing how much I love Lupe and his lyricism. Hmm. But yeah, that, that's been what I've listened to. That's funny, man, because I got on Lupe kicks as well. Like, mm-hmm. he's the artist I listen to in bursts. Really? Like, yeah, I listen to Lupe in bursts. It's really strange. Like, sometimes I'll just listen. Like, the only thing I listen to is, like, Drug Us Away for a week. Even though it's a really long album. Wow. Like, the songs that <laughs> hit on there, they really, really, really hit. Like, the opening half of the album. The half of the first half is insane. <laughs> Which tells you how long this album is. Uh, but, yeah, Mickey, how about you? Yeah, well, firstly, I think it's just uh, we were talking about in the the final piece that we discussed today will be about an artist that we talked about before we started recording uh, an artist where you kind of listen to them and periodically oh, yeah. and yeah. the, the uh, author of, or writer of this third piece kind of talks about that with this other particular artist. But it's interesting that Lupe kind of falls in that category and it's making me think a lot about all of the artists who you particularly have that thing about them where it's not like they are consistently a part of um, what your rotation is technically besides the new music Mm -hmm. you're taking in, but like people who you kind of listen to pretty consistently, but you'll just go on these bursts of going back through their catalogs and listening to all of their stuff. And yeah, Lupe definitely falls in line with that for me too. Um, Three things I wanted to mention that I'm listening to quickly. Uh, Firstly, the new uh, father album at which I was talking to the guys about before. Um, I just interviewed him, so you can look out for that um, interview coming up. But um, his—he's you know—he's a veteran in the game, especially for Atlanta music coming from Atlanta. Um, but it, it's like his fifth or sixth album. To me, it's really—he's kind of hit this stride of, of uh, you know his own musicality, and I feel like it's really um, someone who kind of birthed a version of a style. It's really his most cohesive body of work, and it's really cool to see someone do that kind of towards um, the middle middle part of their career after they've you know established themselves and have a core fan base um the other two things the first one is the two the double release of the tiara wax singles that she just dropped are really fucking incredible mm. um i i really feel like um based on dora which she released earlier and then those two singles peppers and onions is maybe my favorite song she's ever released um but i really feel like she's coming into her own and i really think that she's about to have a year in 2021 i feel like these songs are for sure setting up an album um but i'm really anticipating whatever the follow-up to whack world is and then the last is a a kind of random new discovery so i've been watching i was on a movie kick for a while now i've started kind of watching tv shows that i missed out on um one was the morning show on apple tv Wonderful. Uh, and i uh oh you watched it yeah, wonderful. I love it. Yeah, yeah, crazy. So, but there was this one song that I heard in the episode, if you've seen the series, about the uh, California wildfires. Um, it, I think it's like the closing song in the episode. And I was like, what the hell is this? And it's by this artist named Two Feet, who I'd never heard of. Um, but basically, uh, the sound is like electro pop with a little bit of trap influence, but mostly centered in electro pop. But the driving thing through his music is this very like blues rock guitar that kind of is incorporated throughout the entirety of the sound. And I feel like it's just a really cool and different genre fusion. Um, And I'm kind of trying to manifest eventually sitting down and talking to him for an interview (laughs) because I think it just, it's so like an inherently, you know, it's, it's not difficult listening. Like it's pretty easy to like vibe to, but there's something inherently different with the that style and that fusion that he's doing that uh, felt really refreshing to me. Um, so yeah, two feet, fuck with me, man. Your shit's dope. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, two feet, you're listening. I need to check that out. I don't remember the specific song. I remember the episode, though, but I need to go back and uh, 
watch that again. Yeah. Uh, for me, <clears throat> I've actually been listening to someone that Mickey put me onto. That's Hope Tala, like her oh. recent EP. Yeah, man, I've been really bumping that. It's been my writing music, yeah, <laughs> which is a massive compliment because yeah. I don't I don't write to anything. I'll tell you that. <laughs> Yo, I, that, I'm glad you brought it. So I guess there's more shit I can plug too. I yeah, did two definitely. interviews, one with Hope Tala and one with um, uh, the R and B group They. But Hope Tala's "Girl Eat Sun" EP is one for sure. I think I can easily say, if not my favorite, one of my two or three favorite EPs that have dropped this year easily. Um, but I had a really cool conversation with her for Euphoria magazine. Uh, and she taught me a new word, which is corporeal, which is funny enough. After someone like introduces you to a new word, I feel like other people feel this too. <laughs> I've heard it in like three other contexts since then. And I'm like, how is this even possible? I've never heard of this word before. Um, but corporeal, look it up. It's a cool word. And she's cool. <laughs> <laughs> she is cool, man. It's a really endearing EP. Like, yeah. That's the word that comes to mind. It's really endearing. Um, other than that, it's the new um, Pink Sifu and Fly Anakin album, uh, Fly Sifu's. Shouts to Baltimore, yeah. Yeah, that thing's... Um, I only listened to it today properly. Like, the last two times I listened to it, I listened to it real late, and I fell asleep in the middle of it twice. <laughs> <laughs> but I did really enjoy it. <laughs> Once I listened well, to it in the morning. That can be interpreted <laughs> multiple ways there, Ryan. <laughs> I, I just want to make it clear, Pink Sifu, if you're in Fly Anakin, if you're listening, he means he just like loved it so much that he wanted it to be like the soundtrack to his evening, and just he just was really tired. It's not that your music put him to sleep. Yeah, you guys gotta understand that. <laughs> I I am a grandpa, and I go to sleep at nine p.m. So <laughs> most of the time, from listening to music, is putting me to sleep. Not in a bad way. It's just I'm old inside. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so today on the podcast we have pieces about uh, lo-fi hip-hop, about industry plants, and about Sade. And let's go into that first piece right now. And Tyler, you brought this one. Yeah, yeah. Um, my piece is called Lo-Fi Hip-Hop Has Become One of the Internet's Most Popular Subgenres Is Slowed and Reverbed Next. So I found this piece through OK Player... It is written by Elijah C. Watson. And I found it very interesting because literally right before I found this piece, me and a friend of mine were discussing this whole entire slow and reverb thing because I've always I've just been on YouTube a lot. If I need something to listen to while I'm writing, I will usually go to YouTube or one of my, well, actually over 200 playlists I have on Spotify. Um, and but it, I was like, okay, this is very interesting. I'm not sure. Is this close to? I didn't understand what it was, and then I found this article, and they basically get into the history behind lo-fi and slowed and reverb, and what it's meaning to this generation and this generation in particular, Gen Z, is making use of it in very unique ways, just through TikTok, through challenges, through almost this virality of it. And I found the article interesting in the fact that it went through almost the origins of both of these subgenres through hip hop greats like Dilla on the lo-fi side and Screw on the slow and reverb side. And you just saw how these two genres or, or really subgenres are interacting and making waves. And I found it interesting that 
if you didn't know any better, like almost to like a mainstream fan, you could easily confuse the two. They're both very meditative, relaxing music. And I found this very interesting quote by Cherry, who who is also in yeah. <laughs> Ryan's article mm-hmm. as well. Um, and she says, because the average listener treats lo-fi, um, treats a lo-fi hip-hop playlist as background fodder for other activities, like relaxing, sleeping, or focusing, actual recognition of, let alone engagement with individual artists, is rare. S- speaking about the Slowden Reverb artists, because you saw how the Slowden Reverb artists don't have almost originality to their music, only mostly because it's they're all remixes. They are the chopped, not slopped of this generation, right? While lo-fi is, as is becoming more modernized, even though it's very new, it's becoming, it, people are making money off of it. So therefore they had to get original if they're going to find any success in it outside of these 24 hour, 24 uh, seven radio playlists that they have on YouTube. So I thought it was, just a good read and seeing where this genre is going can possibly go next if they get original. Yeah. Um, but yeah, what did you guys think? Um, well, firstly, I want to shout out Elijah uh, just because we interviewed him for starting the sauce too. So yeah, thanks for <laughs> still killing it, man. Every time you got all these crazy pieces. <laughs> um, yeah. So I, I, I'm glad that you touched on um, the kind of monetary element because that was truly the thing to me that was the most, um, interesting because on some level what what he's kind of displaying through this is in order to have any monetary success that you can lean on through making this kind of music you have to really kind of separate yourself from how you started doing it in the first place and take out that inherent element that makes the music something that people grab onto which is that immediacy of hearing something familiar but then tacking on something interesting on top of it or or doing something specifically to it um that is really the art of the genre itself um and i really like the way that um elijah uh pulled it all together at the end of the piece um i wanted to read uh just that um this paragraph, despite them both sharing this problem, lo-fi's commodification has helped the subgenre as a whole become the music of not just the internet, but bars, cafes, stores, and other spaces in the real world. The sound appealing to a wide range of audiences due to its inoffensive, relaxing nature and all-purpose background usability, according to Jack. This is why Tabby believes that slowed and reverb won't succeed lo-fi hip-hop in this scene. Um, which is uh, just an interesting paragraph and, and really uh, a good tie-in of... of um, why why it just doesn't have the ability to take it to the next level as a genre specifically um, to make it, unlike lo-fi hip-hop, which on some level has this inherent thing about the sound that doesn't take away from the real core of the genre itself and what what is the appeal about it. And I mean, I think we go into this a lot on the, the podcast, but um, the, the unfortunate um, effect of capitalism on art. Uh, which is really a, a real thing that ties through this piece. Um, and I, I, from speaking to Elijah specifically, I know he's very aware of that. Um, but yeah, I, I think this is another great piece to kind of tie tie that those ideas in. Um, yeah, Ryan. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> what the point that I found most interesting is kind of the fundamental point that he kind of states at the start, and that you kind of stated as like 
this sound, these sounds, I guess, are the sounds of the internet. And that's so strange to me because they're a soundtrack to a non-physical digital space. Like this space that doesn't actually exist has this soundtrack, Mm. but listening to the music, it doesn't feel inorganic. It actually is very emotional. It's not like the mechanical futuristic music that you'd expect from like the soundtrack of the internet, right? It's, it's nostalgic as, um, Elijah said in the piece. And I thought that that was just that point is one very weird to process. And I just, it got me thinking about what it is about the internet that makes people nostalgic. What is it about being in this space that makes people want to kind of look back on the things they enjoy and then kind of put this glossy filter over it mm-hmm. where it's like taking something, I guess it like softens the edges of the music in a strange way, right? That's what slowed and reverb is to me. Um, yeah, I thought that that was just interesting. So what do you guys think of that particular thing, like being a soundtrack to a digital space and to a digital communities? Well, the internet is becoming real. It's like, it's, it's, it's really weird, right? The yeah. more and more we see the internet becoming real and people interacting and making whole personas off the internet and we're having the quote unquote fake interact with reality. Like we have now like stars, journalists, or some some will call themselves, coming into spaces and meeting in the middle. Um, DJ Academics came from the internet, and now he has a whole platform that people see every single day. And to the point of like the internet just being nostalgia, or having a lot of like nostalgia involved into it, it can the internet literally saves everything. Like once it's as, as like my parents used to say, once it's on the internet, it's there forever. I think that the same can be said for music. So when something's there for a while, it just makes a life of its own. And people always want to come back to it and come back to it and come back to it. That's why we're seeing slow and reverb almost being reinvented, but like people still having like, oh, I remember that song. Even though it's like two or three years old <laughs> or long or older. Yeah. It's, yeah. Being, it's just being curated to a newer audience, but it's still nostalgia. Yeah, so for... For the nostalgia piece of it, the thing that's interesting to me, and I did not think this or write it down until I heard you two talk about it now, um, but it feels really inherent to just the creation of hip hop itself. Like that's kind of what hip hop, how hip hop first started was by sampling. So yeah. I think it's it's easy to kind of separate mm-hmm. these kind of new genres from the reality of what hip hop did originally, which was tap into nostalgia of like, you know, soul music and then using breakbeats over it. Um, and these are kind of the modern reinterpretations of them using more internet styled software, uh, in order to create them. Um, so I think that's, that's really interesting. And there's something again, that ties into like the kind of, I feel like there's always a, an inkling of capitalist, um, rejection of, of the genre of hip hop itself and how that's extending into these is like, no, you can't actually do this thing. That's tapping into this very marketable nostalgia. (laughs) And I, I mean, I don't know how to exactly put that into, to more specific terms, but it's, it's like, um, I feel like it's that same kind of continual process is like, Oh, we found a loophole. Oh no, you can't do that Mm. without getting charged. Hip hop is reinvention. 
it, it's it's hip hop is literally reinvention every single time. So like we see it like every few years, slow and reverb, yeah. lo-fi, like as as you said, the original '90s stuff. Yeah. Like it it all comes from like just reinvention. Hip hop is literally redefining every single thing right. every few years, and that's how it stays fresh. That's how it still the music of the young generation. Yeah. So to your point, that you're you're just writing that. <laughs> you're just absolutely writing that. Right. I think Elijah also the what the part of the article we haven't talked about so much is Elijah really tapped into the um to making sure he mentioned the the roots of the genre with kind of chopped and screwed music and how people have mm -hmm. kind of criticized yeah. um slowed for for being a version of that but not necessarily giving enough credit where credit is due. I was interested just what you guys thought specifically of that element of it. It's um especially black creators i feel i'm glad they did mention slater and like people have like pointed to as uh, one of the real guys of the uh of the slow and reverb genre and saying and but usually how he said like these spaces lo-fi and slow and reverb with especially with the tiktok stars being dominated and really being seen through white a white lens mm -hmm. um while these was what you have dj screw and dilla black founders of these of the fathers of these two yeah. subgenres yeah, it's kind of funny to see how things evolve. And I'm not sure what counts as an evolution, because it seems like it's the chopped and screwed style has just been... I think Elijah said, like, instead of being chopped and screwed, it's just screwed now. Like, yeah. they kind of took away an element of it to round <laughs> out the edges, like I said. Like, it's just, yeah. it's not being chopped, it's just being stretched out and made into rubber rather than being made out of metal if that makes right. any sense, right. right? So it's funny. Like, I just find it really interesting, really. I don't really have a strong opinion on it. I just find it interesting just observing how styles of manipulating and remixing music have changed over the years. And I guess the most interesting part of it is the credit thing. Like, who yeah. is the face of it yeah. and who gets the credit? Like, right. um, Elijah points out that a lot of these people like to stay anonymous, which I think uh -huh. is interesting, but that also allows like for the people on TikTok to kind of be the face of it when there's no way to access the face of the people who actually made the music or yeah. the people who actually like invented the genre. So I think that's a really interesting dynamic of it. Um, but I feel like that chopped. I mean, um, certain reverb is one thing, and I, but I think lo-fi is a completely different animal. Yeah. Because there are so many different faces to it. Like, yeah. there's the lo-fi, um, like, chill hop beats to study relax to. And then there's, like, the lo-fi aesthetic mm -hmm. that truly is derived from, like, Low fidelity chopping. Music. Yeah, yeah. And, like, chopping, like, blending low-fidelity music and what Dilla did with chopping samples and, like, manipulating the samples to a point that they would never like Dillo was a master of finding things in samples that no one else could ever see, right? And he right. had a master of manipulating them in a way to fit an idea in his head. Now the idea is lo-fi, right? Mm -hmm. And fitting that aesthetic doesn't mean that these beats are, made are things way. Yeah, are made the same way or made for the same reason of like studying and relaxing, right? Yeah, people like that I listen to a lot of people like Mike, like Navy Blue, the sound that Earl's adopted. Like, I would classify those as lo-fi artists, like artists who make lo-fi albums, mm -hmm. but it's not necessarily in the same spirit of a lot of what's going on in this piece, but it is still derived from 
what Dilla did. And in a sense, the chopped and screwed stuff, um, I guess the difference is that they're going way further back with the samples and they're twisting them beyond recognition, which mm. completely others it in this conversation. This conversation, I feel like, is about, without being explicitly stated by Elijah, which I think is really clever, but it's really about, like you say, the market, marketability of nostalgia. So, yeah. Money. Money, guys. <laughs> like, um, Slowden Bird is lacking that money so far. Um, but I also thought it was interesting that something I did not know about, um, that Elijah, thank God he put uh, two links to it, how artists are, how, like, I know Megan just put out a Chopped Not Slopped album, a uh, version of Sugar not too long ago, mm-hmm. but artists are doing a slowed and reverb r- albums of their, as well. I was like, I did not know that was a thing <laughs> at all. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that was another just an element of, um, I meant to say this actually is one of my first things that I think Elijah did really well is um, I don't feel like even on this podcast, as much as we tap in, have as many um, pieces that are set up. This didn't feel like a, a, it's not that it didn't feel, it didn't feel like a traditional music journalism piece as much as it felt like a kind of an article from like the Washington Post or the New York Times profiling a specific cultural thing. Um, and I think that that's a really uh, important way to cover music journalism that doesn't happen um, as frequently as probably it should. And I think big platforms should have these pieces really profiling the specificity within um, in and in they do it when it has to do with like kind of more industry esque type of things, but not when it has to do with the music that's coming out itself. And I think this was a really good example of that. Yeah, and it's um, when you're profiling a subculture, like you're saying, it's difficult to not presume knowledge on the part of the reader. And I think a lot of big publications do that. Because they're appealing to the people who already know. But I don't think this piece is appealing to people who already know. This is a documentation. This is a... um, Almost like a retrospective on, like where this sound came from, like, where we are now. And it's really an ode to the vast, vast, vast amount of different styles coming out just within hip-hop right now. Like, it's ridiculous. Like, the fact that (laughs) this can exist completely underneath layers and layers and layers of different sounds within hip-hop, and the fact that anything can be slowed and reverbed, like anything will be slowed and reverbed that reaches like any kind of popular consciousness and i find that so this so interesting i keep saying that but it is interesting um but i like the quote that um elijah got from tabby who's a i believe a slowed and reverb artist right or was it lo-fi? Yep. um she ha- she has her own channel as well i was actually just listening to her right before we got on yeah, and she said she sees it becoming the new elevator music. And honestly, I find I that mind. to be, like, I want to live in that world Yeah, where that's the new elevator music. Work. Yeah. Work. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's I what... think elevator music is, like, a... It's an interesting concept. Do you guys feel like elevator music is less of a real thing now? 
I mean, well, Absolutely. we're in a pandemic, so like, how many elevators are we going into? <laughs> but you know what I mean? Elevator yeah. music almost feels like a dated existence of a thing. Like, how much elevator music is even playing? But the thing is, elevator music... Oh, it is. It's, it's still playing. Yeah, go for it, Tyler. It's, it's still playing. Oh, well, yeah. It's, well, I was like, it's, it's still playing. Um, I, I went to a, a modeling... Uh, a modeling... Uh, tryout and I had to like take one of those long elevators up to like the what was it the 15th floor <laughs> so I could so I could do my interview um and during it it was like that traditional almost like lobby jazz music that was in, in going up for like 10 that's 13 stories that's specifically funny to me because I feel like if there's any industry that should have elevator music that is in the ilk of lo-fi and slowed and <laughs> reverb it is like a modeling agency like there's no reason why going up to like a modeling agency or like a tryout for something like that they shouldn't have like more you know currently relevant kind of styles that would be the new reinterpretation of of uh, elevator music yeah i feel like that's that's really the place where it should be of all places and it was not <laughs> and it was disappointing right. <laughs> but right. i feel like just one last last thing on elevator music i think it's kind of everywhere like it's just generally used as a term for stopgap music like when was the last time you saw an advert that was just like silent yeah that was just like it's just like everything that is meant to comfort you but not meant to grab your attention that's elevated music right and that's what lo-fi is now Hmm, that's that's exactly what it is yeah but i don't that's interesting because i don't necessarily to me elevator music has has or what it is and that's why it felt dated to me has such a specific tone to it like it's not to me it, it elevator music is not any music that's kind of in the background because there's like a certain version of like kind of like meditative slow music that's kind of in the background that you don't notice that you'll maybe hear at like a doctor's office or something that's not mm. elevator music. Elevator music is very like dudes in suits in the 50s going up and it's just like doo, 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 doo. like it's not like has just the very like in the background <laughs> specific thing. And that's that sound specifically. I feel like I don't hear, but maybe you guys do. I don't know. Mm. The good. spirit of it is alive. Maybe they're well, not exact. Like, Tyler hears it on the way to his modeling yeah. things. <laughs> <laughs> Who's making it? Do you think there's like stock elevator music, or do you think there's like there's bands like, out there? Like, there's like, yeah, like, I'm uh, dedicated to like elevator music. Like that's my thing. Yeah. Like there's a whole subculture of elevator music fanatics who just dude, you, know, you got to look into it. It's definitely out there. There's probably like some real like OGs in the game who have really been putting the shit in people's elevators for. Solid 50 years and no one knows who they are. Yeah, man. Okay, player, if you want a sequel to this piece, reach out to me. I'll do the research. (laughs) Commission me, please. Right. Okay, so that was uh, Lo-Fi Hip Hop has become one of the internet's most popular subdramas. It's slowed and reverb next by Elijah C. Watson for Okay Player. Okay, so the next piece we have is simply called What is an Industry Plan? And it's on Pigeons and Planes by Grant Rindner. Um, so this piece, yeah, the title kind of says everything. What is an Industry Plan? And at Central Source, like one of our missions is to create 
immersive music journalism, right? Like immersive being that key word. And that's something that's like, I find hard to achieve and really hard to quantify how immersive something is, especially because like everyone's going to have a different experience with it, right? But you kind of know it when you see it. And this piece from Grant is like, it's truly immersive. Mm-hmm. Um, so he speaks to both artists and journalists about what de- their definition of an initial plan is. And this kind of creates an effect where you're receiving all these different ideas of what an industry plan is, because all of them have kind of like slightly different definitions. And in turn, that kind of encourage you, encourages you to think of your own definition of what an industry plan is. So while reading it, like I was completely single minded, like the only thing I was thinking about is what is an industry plan? The only thing bouncing around my head was the word industry plan and trying to like don't define it myself. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that's what immersion is to me, you know. And it's super difficult to have people engage with an ill-defined concept that was just made up by some dude on Kanye Tither. But <laughs> you really get lost in this piece. Like it's the kind of piece where it's like, yo, Ryan, where were you for a week? Oh, read this week this piece on uh, industry plants, and I just, <laughs> I just I can't ask for it. <laughs> Right. Yeah, um, what did you guys think of it? Mickey, I'll go to you first. Yeah, so uh, that couldn't be more accurate from my experience with reading this piece too. And I think it is actually the the brilliance of Grant, the writer, uh, is the sequencing of the quotes is top tier. And I feel like that's a thing that people do not think about, especially, so this is a, actually the style of this piece is very similar to pieces we brought in from Level Magazine specifically, mm. where there's the kind of the run of different um, quotes from different, from the Level pieces, it's been mainly people within the industry of like journalism or the, you know, producers or things like that, rather than artists mixed within. Um, yeah. But getting the full perspective from all these different people. But the brilliance of this piece is that every time that I would read, and it was wildly frustrating and made me have to keep going back and rereading to rethink my opinion, but it was uh, very smart. Uh, every time I would read a new section by a new person, I would immediately have some version of a retort to them. And then mm either the person directly after them or two people after them would give the version of the formed opinion I had had in my head, (laughs) either anti or in some agreements, but a little bit of a gray area to the other person. And I was like, well, I don't have a single original thought on this, so maybe I should just keep reading. But it was for the first, (laughs) for the first like three quarters of the piece, I was very much like, no, this isn't right. Oh, they already know that this person said exactly what I was thinking. Um, which is really cool. And then really um, what Ryan's getting at is because of that effect of the sequencing of the specific quotes, it leaves you with this thing of like, damn, after you're done with it, you're like, fuck, I think I just have to go back and really just like read through every single one again to know (laughs) what I actually think about something. Cause I was pretty sure I had an opinion coming into this and now I have no idea. (laughs) What'd you think? Yeah. Yeah. That was totally me throughout, throughout this um, piece. Cause I'm like, when I already, before even reading it, I was like, I know what an industry plant is. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and then it changed so many times, so many times. And I'm, but also <laughs> something, gotta give it to Grant too, the array of people that he like um, interviewed from the artists to the A&Rs to a journalist. 
um, excuse me, two journalists and getting their perspectives on it because you obviously have people that are out, that are on that backing end that are uh, that are people allegedly make industry plans yeah. to the auditors that have been alleged to be industry plans to the <laughs> to now the journalists who can identify who quote unquote identify if they're in an industry plan. So getting those three perspectives was masterful. The way he set um what, the way he set it up from like it, once again the sequencing of this piece is just amazing. I thought it was extremely smart to start off with the artists because they're the ones that were um that I saw they were the most sensitive about being called it because they're the ones that are being like oh. hey you haven't put in the work yeah. essentially like can you imagine like as an artist or as an even as a writer they're like you didn't you didn't do anything you didn't you, you didn't have anything you didn't have actually any real come up and that hurts it stings oh i felt <laughs> for that for baby got specifically i really felt for her yeah oh yeah that sucks to have basically your whole entire like artistry picked apart and then when you try to disprove it they're like mm, well the, the the lie is more entertaining than the truth yeah. so which is that's the whole entire thing an industry plant sells the lie and i thought yeah it's, go on no 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 no, no like, ahead, <clears throat> i thought it was interesting that even the people who had been called an industry plan and then was like, no, I did the work, you know, I did, I saw the things that nobody saw, you know, but they still, like, they still, like, industry plans don't exist because, like, people said, I'm an industry plan and I did all this work. They're like, no, 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 industry plan is actually this thing over here. Like, yeah, they, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they still had their own different <laughs> definitions. And right. I thought that was so interesting because, like, right. there's no denial in this. Uh, maybe it was one person, maybe it was Jeff Weiss who said that industry plans don't exist. But I think actually, Jeff, if I remember correctly, I think Jeff Weiss was one of the people who was very much like, these are industry plants, they suck. Yes. Screw them. Someone. It was the other. I think Noah. I think Noah Beaver. No, I think Noah Beaver said some version of it. Okay. And then yes. At the very end, I believe Eric yes. Skelton said it. If I'm right. Okay. Right. People use the phrase industry plant when an artist seems popular. They haven't. Yeah. 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 Okay. So. I personally hate the term. That's what he said. Yeah. 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 So that's the kind of thing that I, like, I, even before I went to the piece, I had, like, 25 different definitions of what an industry plant is. And I guess this piece, right. in a strange way, it did help. Right. Because you get all these different definitions, which have what bounces around in your head in a more defined way. Mm-hmm. And you get to look at it and analyze it and think, okay, I agree with that, I don't agree with that, and so on. Yeah. I do think that, um, artists are placed into positions to be popular and are like, you know, told yeah. to be put on these playlists and all stuff. No, that happens, right? Yeah. But mm-hmm. I think what I realized through this piece is that I'm bad at recognizing them because sometimes I'll see an artist and I'll be like, "There's no way some anyone really enjoys their music, right? They're just getting coverage because." Uh, uh. Yeah. And then. I see a tweet or something of someone like genuinely enjoying the music, and I'm like, huh. Oh. Yeah. Like, huh. Oh. <laughs> I would never appreciate them for that reason, but I guess people really do. Yeah, like, it <laughs> looks like they make real music that people like. Huh. Yeah. Interesting. So, yeah. recognizing an industry plan is a lot harder than defining it, which is probably what gave me trouble, like, before this piece and what. Right. This piece helped me to realize. Right. But yeah, uh, talking about the artist, by the way, he interviewed Cop Dad 4000, Carrie Forbes, Baby Goff, and Sadder Baby. Yeah. So, 
I felt like none of them had unnatural introductions to the scene. Right. Like, it felt organic, almost, like, for all of them, from, like, where I'm sitting. Yeah. Which is another point where it's, like, this term industry plan was traced back to some random dude on Kanye Tiller. It wasn't, like, created by some industry insider or anything, you know. It was created just by a dude. So a lot of people who've had these accusations thrown on them, that just by people like anyone can say anyone's in the industry plan and it will fly because the term is so ill-defined which reminds me of like fake news what it reminded me of dude it reminds me of race clickbait it's it's really a a, it's almost like gaslighting somebody real quick yeah Yeah. like they're industry plant and then it's like running away because they don't actually have any any real proof on it it kind of reminded me of how like it's too it's so far ahead but like how race was created like it was really just made up by a dude like yeah in poor journal yeah exactly (laughs) so like and people like it's such a massive problem and something people have to deal with and carry around so much but like it was just made up by a dude you know right so yeah these things are power yeah i'm not going to go into the specific but of course of course i've been reading how to how to be an anti-racist specifically recently and there's like a he Ibram <laughs> Kendi gives obviously a much more in-depth definition than I ever would be able to or recall. Um, but yeah, yeah, it's very, that's, that's a super interesting parallel. I think Ryan, it really is like, um, it's, that's what was really kind of, I didn't, if there was anything that surprised me about the piece was that it tapped into the real power of the word yeah. itself. I was expecting mm. a lot of opinions as far as like what it is. But then that's why the baby goth one really hit me because it was like, you know, she's trying to make it as an artist like a lot of people are trying to do. And then it was just like this term got attached to all of her artistry and it really she had to reassess everything and revert and be like, OK, I have to like not only as I'm like coming up and figuring this artist shit out, like revert and have to be like, uh, how do I just like take this thing off of me i have to be more Mm. transparent and give myself more to people so they don't feel like they're in the dark with anything and it's yeah that's like a kind of that's like a little bit of the scary thing that it's really uncovering about the the world of technology and how effective words have become through the internet which i think is an interesting theme we we were talking about like the power of the internet or the new world that the internet creates in the other piece too um yeah before well, I I want to say like what my thoughts on <laughs> what an industry plan are too. Um, so the thing that and we were talking about the power of the word, right? So the the thing that is undeniable about the term industry plant, plant to me that I've kind of gathered, and I feel like the funny thing is when you get so many opinions like this, then your actual opinion becomes more vague because there's so many things that you're thinking about. Yeah. But the term industry plant, though this is a big word and there's probably a better word for it, is derogatory. When you say the word, you mean to insult someone, yeah. for sure. So then if that is the yes. case, you have to not only think about if that word has the power of insulting someone and with baby goth, it's like taking over her career. Mm. Then you have to be like, okay, what do I actually not like? Do you know what I mean? And this piece really helps you break down of like, okay, do I really not like that? Like, is there something that really rubs me the wrong way about that? Or is there more of a gray area to this than I'm really able to think about? 
So that's why, like, opinions like the Jeff Weiss one to me was like, okay, well, you clearly have this very, like, you're holding something on to something that is very, like, I hate this shit about the industry. I'm a purist in this level and fuck that. And I'm like, okay, cool. The, but the thing that stuck out to me is something that I was like, okay, I understand not liking this, but then it gets into another gray area, but feels a little bit concrete to me is the idea of the artist by influence of even their own thoughts or specifically with the industry plant people around them doing something as consciously as possible that is inherently false for their own character going against something that is not against on in line with their own impulses artistically that is yeah. influenced by this group of people that's saying you should be this even though you think you're this and that to me is interesting because I would assume for that period of an artist to be able to get them to do that, they have to have no reach whatsoever at that point. So it's like an opportunity to be something when they don't really have anything to hold on to anyway. So on a certain level, I kind of feel sympathetic for, first of all, them having to choose like, okay, I don't really have anything going for me yet and I can keep trying or I can use this yeah. avenue to become this entirely new thing. It's like acting a character basically. And then it's like, okay, is there anything really inherently wrong with acting a character in your real life if you're not hurting anybody? And if people like it, you're providing something for people like Ryan was talking about. And the, I, I understand, but I also understand from the audience perspective, I don't like to feel like I'm being tricked. No one likes to feel like they're being tricked. Um, but yeah, so that's a really hazy, <laughs> not totally like putting my foot in the mud and being like this is what it is but it's um i think yeah i think the for me it made me really think about okay like the context of the the phrase itself and and um how that matters in my own view of it yeah it's i i found it very very interesting because as as you were saying it's a show and prove thing and but then like more so what you were saying about almost like this thing of authenticity yeah. right I think depending almost even on the genre or the culture, right? An industry plant can exist, but the fans might not care, yeah. right? Like there might be, you can maybe find quote unquote many examples of a industry plant in pop music. Like literally people who probably aren't doing the quote unquote back work that they find someone who can just sing really well and creating and curating this whole entire image for them. And maybe in pop music, that's fine. We're fine with it. They're on top 40 radio. It's all good. But then when you're getting to aspects of hip hop and this obsession with having to, to be real or getting or coming out of from this certain background, but whatever you talk about in your music, that's where the lines, that's where the fans, quote unquote, might get really touchy about it. Right. Because you almost have Sada Baby's response. That was hilarious. But also, like, I could see where he's coming from. He's like. All these motherfuckers that are, that are that have more followers than me, but they ain't better than me. Like, which I'm think that's that's the, that's very real in that aspect. They're like, they they're like, I've put this work in, I've done this and I've done that. So I think to other artists when they're called industry plant, they're like, I put in work, I know what I've done. But they see somebody else and like they just came up out of nowhere. Once again, quote unquote that they get offended by it and the fan base they're like oh that's industry plant oh we shouldn't mess with them because they're not real yeah. well in well in fact a lot of people could be industry plants just because they finally have some backing yeah. behind them 
yeah, it's possible for people just to get discovered. Like, it happens. A and R is artist development. It's like, their job. Artist development's a oh, real job. That was the whole thing of like, okay, but so that was the Noah Beaver thing that was really interesting to me. Was the like, um, so yeah. So the interesting thing was the 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 thing that Noah Callahan Beaver was talking about, where he was saying, um, "Shit, guys, I'm forgetting my place now." And exactly what I was talking about. Basically, uh, he was saying that like, you say you don't like what an energy plant is. But if you ask someone how they want an artist to get on, it's that they are plucked from the obscurity. Like someone discovers them and then they give them a budget and they develop them further. A and R's like A and Ring actually the lost art of it and how artists may have a backing behind them or like they just get discovered. Yeah. Like some artists do. Right. Yeah, it happens. But for me, right. <clears throat> when I when we talk about industry plan as a derogatory term, the only time I guess I'd apply it is something that um that Grant references in the article quite a bit, and it's like familial relations, like an epitism. Because then I feel like you are unjustly taking the place of an artist who has done the work. Right? Through nepotism, if you just know like an exec, he's like, hey, can I just get a music video out and have it trend, please? It's like, yeah, <laughs> sure, can happen like that, right? Mm. But I haven't necessarily done any work whatsoever, like, you know, rather than like, yeah. So I guess that's the most, that's the only time that I'll assign the um, the term industry plan to someone, but obviously it's hard to point that out in day-to-day life, you know? It's hard to, and like, that's going to be hidden from our view. Like, that's not going to be publicised, so, yeah. Any other thoughts on uh, the definition of an industry plan or the piece? Um... I do want to like give two quotes, one with a quote by Carrie, because like, I think that's probably the the temp, um, definition of industry plant that I probably gravitate towards most. Um, and that is, oh, she said, an artist who is being groomed and developed away from the public eye by a label only to be placed in the spotlight and organically with a hit song and or viral moment. Right. Which once again, there, there are probably industry plants that I really enjoy, but that 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 feeling of like just out of nowhereness i'm like yeah sure i'll go along with that and the second quote i want to give is once again by cherry who um and almost talking about the responsibility of journalists and um with just almost like deciphering the fake from the real and she said as a journalist i'll never cover an artist just because they have the right label support and connections the music needs to be great that's what really matters and that is all that really matters to me at the end of the day, industry yeah. plan or not. If the music's dope, I'll, I'll continue right. to rock it and, and cover that's it. really about like the acceptance of that like everyone has their own path on some level when you really kind of break it down simply is like, you know, Sada Baby cannot have the same path as Baby Goth. There's literally no way in the world <laughs> where those two artists can have the same path. They don't come from places, I'm assuming. I mean, potentially they come from more similar places. But they, they're they just not, there's no way that their trajectory is going to feel the same. And I think, yeah, that's what it is the other thing behind that Cherry Hue um, quote, which I think is yeah very astute. Absolutely. Okay. So that was What is an Industry Plan by Grant Rintner for Pigeons and Names.
So with our uh, final piece of the show, um, I brought in a piece titled Sade. <laughs> I said Sade. <laughs> we talked about this beforehand, Shade. and that's really funny. But it is Sade Saves Liner Notes from a Lifelong Soundtrack by Danielle Smith. Um, yeah, so this is first and foremost uh, one of my favorite pieces. I feel like I'm the NPR guy now. This is like my third or fourth <laughs> NPR piece that I've brought to the podcast. Um, it's one of my favorite pieces because it is so inherently different from anything else that I've read this year. Um, and it really made me realize that uh, the the space that there is for this specific type of piece um, which is what Danielle Smith does is it's she creates a personal essay that parallels an artist's trajectory to her own life and what um and what it really inherent what Sade Sade I'm gonna keep doing it over and over again what Sade, what Sade's music I, I am irate I know what <laughs> I started to have it what Sade's music inherently um meant to her through each step in each decade of her life. Um, and I even wrote this down too, and we talked about it a little bit. There are artists that, that really um, capture a moment in time. So uh, in your life, depending on where their music was and how it hit you. And there, it, the piece just does a really good job throughout um, of profiling those exact moments and paralleling them to... Uh, to the inherent things that were not only going on in, in Sade's music that Danielle connected with, but with in Sade's life specifically as well. So the piece felt to me very much like, um, <laughs> I don't know if you guys had them growing up, but I had one in my room of like a quilt that was knitted for you that had little pieces of fabric from different parts of your life. <laughs> and Tyler's making yeah. a funny face. And that's like a very like, you know, cute kind of grandma <laughs> way to describe this, but it very much felt like she was weaving the quilt together throughout the piece. Um, because, because of those three things inherently that she was kind of very effortlessly going in and out of. So it was like these little pieces of, of fabric, um, which is again, her life, the music, and then Sade's life. Um, so yeah, I have a bunch of different, quotes to talk about but i wanted to just set it up generally first um and and talk to you guys specifically about that that structure and what stood out to you this piece was absolutely beautiful um it is has so many quotables um they were just not only poetic but also endearing um it's the best way i can describe it is she created a constellation and every single piece and every single star that connects it was a song and or album by Sade and how it was a little star map that once it was completed, it was lit up the sky and you got this full view and picture of her and Sade. It was gorgeous to read. Um, I got all, there was moments I teared up cause there were like literally just quotables. that was like that, touched me so dearly i was like i was like i can't i don't know what to say um i want one of one of the first there i guess i think we're all gonna have plenty of quotes mm -hmm. from this piece 
but I think the one of the first ones that was it was I, I almost at the top of the um, of the piece, but more so towards the end of the paragraph. It she said, "It will be beautiful to shine bright, but I want to feel indestructible." Yep, I have that one written down too. <laughs> and, and God, is that a bar? Yeah. Oh Lord. Yeah. Ah. Uh. Yeah. yeah so that one was paralleling specifically. I'm glad you brought up that quote. That helps. Was, that one was paralleling specifically a time where that was a very therapeutic bar for Danielle, um, a pivotal time in her early life where she was poor and pregnant with a man's child who was absent specifically, but then also parallels it. This is interesting too, to at that same time, she was, um, she and the country was dealing with watching the challenger explode, which was a, um, a spaceship in Florida at Cape Canaveral. Um, and uh, there, there's something about uh, feeling indestructible, right? When you see something, when your life specifically feels so destructible and there's so many things happening, but then to see something that um, is inherently something that is supposed to be indestructible, right? Um, and on live TV with the rest of um, the country watching something literally explode, um, that was a crazy tie-in and and that was very early in the piece so right off the bat she kind of set the standard for herself of how specific um she was going to parallel all three three types of things yeah man this uh, article <laughs> this was a poem like this was just a poem it's one of those that just makes you slow down like just through the hustle and bustle of just life and trying to get things done it's one of the things that just makes you just slow down and just sit and just read it, right? It's like video game reference, but like when you're playing Breath of the Wild and you're just trying to get to a new mission and you're just trying to get to this place, you're trying to run there, and then suddenly like one of the spirit dragons just pops up and you just stare at it because it's the most beautiful thing you've ever seen. <laughs> and you just sit there and watch as it goes across Hyrule and you're just like, wow. Wow. Like, you know? And just the word choice and the imagery like she started this story in the 80s i didn't even exist in the 80s but i was there (laughs) (laughs) i was not alive but like the imagery was just so vivid like i felt the texture of the time through her words and i felt the texture of the music i haven't heard all the music like i listened to some sade but not and and i haven't listened to her extensively and like just being able to understand Danielle, Sade, and the world in a time that I didn't exist in was insane, right? Right. And, like, yeah, man, word choice, word choice, word choice. Like, that's something I obsess over when I'm writing. And to see someone do it so well, and, like, the sentence structure and the paragraph structure, the way she'd have these short sentences, and she'll start them with the same kind of, like, uh, motive, like, just carry that on through a paragraph is just... Mm -hmm genius and i'm sorry if i'm stealing people's quotes but one of the things that just grabbed me straight away was like (laughs) i'm abandoned and loudness is a weighted blanket oh yeah and just like talking about like blasting sade's music to the point where it smothers you yeah and grounds you in a way because that's what this music was to her it wasn't escapism it was ground and planting your feet on the ground and being stronger hence the title of the album diamond diamond mickey help me out uh diamond life thank you diamond life i thought it sounded like i didn't want to get it wrong but um (laughs) (laughs) 
yeah, that like we've all had that experience, right? We've just been so weighted down by everything else in our life that we just throw in our earphones, put it all the way up and just yes. marinate in it yes. and just want to sit in it and just lie down and let it feel like the ocean is on top of you. Yes, definitely. Well, firstly, that whole quote, Ryan, is a very good way to support that initial uh, metaphor that I did with the quilt. So that makes <laughs> me look at that thing for sure. Um, but that's that's uh, just to get dive a little bit deeper and then to use another quote um, is that I think this is a quality that it is strung throughout the piece to me um, that she talks about uh, what specifically um Sade's music spill, uh, fills a void for in her own life um which is in those moments in your life um where you feel very vulnerable and that kind of evokes some version of fear um that Sade's music for her um consistently was was a tone and an energy that that put ease to that feeling um and this was the quote that really and then I'll have you guys respond to it um this may be my favorite quote of the whole piece, but she says, I think this is also a little bit early on too, although I'm probably going to say that six more times uh, of what my favorite <laughs> quote is. Uh, I turned my Sade up because a religious belief in music kept me sane. Some of us believed it would save everyone. So not, and that's like a pretty, you know, um, universal feeling that, that music has. It, it really tapped into something of like, there's something inherently that I believe in in music more than I will ever believe in any religion, dare uh, I say. Um, yeah. There's there's like a quality to it. Um, and I feel like all of us have an artist that, uh, or artists, but I think that there's, you know, I feel like it feels inherently like Danielle feels like Sade is that kind of artist who really does help her bring out her own... Um, so, Humanity? Say it again. Humanity, humanity. Like, and, uh, and, and understanding yeah. and, and ease of, of and perspective. That's actually the word I'm really looking for, uh, for her own life of like taking a second to see the whole picture. Like the music allows her mind to do that and what is important. Um, and that inherently feels like what she's talking about when she says, you know, some of us believed it would save everyone. I think inherently those of us who like really care, you know, deeply about music and its effect, um, feel like we have a true inherent hope in the the qualities of it that can um really not but it's not an external save it's more of like an internal thing that could have positive external effects yeah and like the again sorry to bang on again about word choice but like yeah the choice of the word the words religious belief right Huge. and this is gonna sound a bit far but i said it's a poem i'm gonna analyze it like it's a poem yep. um <laughs> Religion, like, when you have faith in something, it's much deeper than just liking it or loving it, right? It's the thing that's there, no matter how high the fall is, how far the fall is, it's going to be there as a ground-level base thing to help you bounce back up, essentially, right? Get you back on your feet. Like, and it's kind of this belief that it's always going to be there. And... A belief that nothing can corrode it. Mm -hmm. And I think that's why I said belief in music kept us sane. Because mm -hmm. things change so quickly. 
like things change in your life so they can change like that right yeah and that can just send you into a whirlpool where everything is confusing but having that one thing that you have religious belief in that you have faith in that music that you can just return to it's in your pocket all the time now right Uh uh-huh it's just right there and it can just stabilize everything for you and i thought that was just beautiful i had that quote written down too yeah Yeah. word music can save lives and for every single tear shed for every single night that you have alone and no one's there music comforts you it is that way to blatant as they um, as she was saying and i've never felt more at home with a piece like ever like it was i was like i i relate to every single word that she's saying even though it wasn't necessarily sade i could i like as he was saying earlier i identified all the artists that I have for me like i have a playlist for crying like this is like and i think of all the artists that make up that playlist and how important they've been to me and without them i may i'm lord knows where yeah. i would be totally man I, so here's the other thing that i wanted to to get into of um in the just sticking with my original metaphor of like the weaving of the quilt a little bit is you know uh as the kind of you're making the quilt happen and you're doing the sewing the quilt will eventually kind of grow into more and more of a complete thing um as you add the different pieces of fabric so similarly um as she really does a great job of showing her own personal growth of understanding of self as um Mm -hmm. and then how she grows with Sade's music and with Sade's perspective and how Sade kind of changes within her own life and then within the things that she's singing about that also end up helping Danielle in different ways so this was another quote I wanted to say and then I'll let you guys respond to it and then after this I think I only have one more quote but (laughs) um so (laughs) this is when she gets into her 40s she says my sacrifices haunt my regrets haunt but only occasionally do they lunge and claw at my eyes when they do, I have Sade in her 40s, offering hope for how good and still how very real things are going to get. She whispers that it's only love that gets you through and she doesn't sound corny. It's a promise from the older sister I don't have. Um, so that to me sounds like, uh, and I mean, I am have not even reached my 30s nor my 40s, but so I'm kind of taking it out of not actual um, <laughs> understanding of that, you know, that age. But uh it feels like a growth of understanding of of herself and what she feels like she needs in order to function on a day to day, and we figure out what those things are specifically and what kind of role they're fulfilling. Rather than the initial quotes that we were kind of talking about, were felt more discovery like. Yes, to me at least, they're very like, oh, I feel like this is this thing. While it's very specific, it's like this bursting kind of like, this is a religion to me, whereas this is like, she fills the role of the sister that I never had to give me advice when I need this specific thing, um, clarity on this specific thing. Um, and uh, I thought that was just really cool. It was, it, I think, um, I, I was beautiful. Uh, <laughs> I think every every single, it's like to this quilt analogy that you're having, I'm, I'm, and the more and more you say it, the more and more I just relate to it and understand what she, what Danielle was saying. It's like every single stitch sewn is a song sung by Sade that rung true to her heart. And every single, every single moment, it just, it made her heart beat. And from that understanding, she was able to find comfort in whatever situation she was going through. And 
it, it just brought the whole entire and with all these quotables because i also by the way i had that same quote i think we I know, all have I know, the same I know Ryan did too, he made a big hand gesture on the zoom <laughs> <laughs> so yeah i just i just really think with what uh, once again as ryan was saying earlier and i agree as well word choice sentence structure and the way she just had it all together just yeah chef's kiss man like that was what do you think about that quote ryan for me he was talking about how universal things are yep like shadi didn't make this music for danielle no one makes music you know like this for a particular person right it's just an expression but when that expression is honest it's gonna it's gonna hit you know yeah (laughs) and that we all have an artist like that where it's like for me it used to be Kid Cudi we talked about Man on the Moon 2 not long ago uh-huh. but like some of the quotes from that album it's just like how is he how in is my it? head right now you know yeah. we, totally. we've all had that moment right yeah yeah and no that's me as a teenager thinking that like you know <laughs> yeah <laughs> this is Danielle in her 40s yep like realising that it's universal. Like, I think that's this quote, what this quote is. Yeah. Like, realising that it's always been there. Yeah. And even though the quote stays the same, the yeah. meaning of it shifts over time as you change. Yeah, just... Yeah. Yeah, beautiful. It's kind of funny. It's There's some version of, now that I'm listening to you guys talk about it too, of um, Danielle's kind of doing to the reader what Sade did for her, which is kind of tell her, like do some version of or it, what it feels like is like you feel this too right you mm-hmm. know what i mean it's like when you're making music on some level there's got to be that inherent thing well it feels like when you receive some type of music that, that connects to you in a very specific way even though it's such a you know music it stretches so to so many people it's like feels like someone's talking to you um but that's what danielle is is kind of through this piece making us be like oh you get this kind of relief or fulfillment from music too don't you i hope so (laughs) because that's what i'm kind of implying throughout this whole thing um yeah so that's actually i think a good transition into and i'm very sorry again guys if i'm stealing all of your quotes but if the one thing before was my favorite like one two line this one inherently no question is my favorite paragraph uh, it's not that long. It's pretty concise, but that's kind of what's so good about it. She really fills up every word like Ryan keeps talking about is so important. Um, so this is, I, I promise for people who are listening, this is the last quote that I have. Uh, maybe the guys have more. Um, but yeah, here it is. Just like always, I know Sade is where I am. If we are at war, and we are, I'm on the side of love and self-love and of fighting for us to move in this world like we are worthy because we are. Sade's absences between projects feel strong, like she knows her worth, like she is taking care of Helen even as Sade fans beckon. But she manages her creative and emotional labor. It reads as mystery, and it's partly strategy, but it's clear that Helen Adu did not rise to die for us. When she steps out of her mystical Sade castle, she looks and seems as at peace with life as any of us can. So that actually goes back very inherently to what Tyler was talking about earlier about the inherent humanity um, that that Sade seems like she gives Danielle um, through her own um, 
understanding of, 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 I think there's something inherent in this paragraph about patience. Um, the, the understanding that you need to be patient with everything around you and yourself as you're figuring things out. Um, but knowing how to, to manage that, that sentence, but she manages her creative and emotional labor. Uh, it's really, it just really kind of, um, it paints such a good picture of the, the reality of, of existence for, for people. Um, and it's like an invisible, an invisible person kind of holding your hand is what music kind of does a little bit and saying, you're good. You got it, man. Or you got it, girl, you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah. So yeah, that was, that was my favorite paragraph. What about you guys? Um, I probably have a, I probably have one more quote. Cause once again, Mickey just has all of them. <laughs> That, like, once again, we share them. It's like, and we share them. That's the thing. We're, yeah, we're sharing we share them. Yeah. But it, yeah, it's um, yeah, it's just music mapping the movie that is your life. That's the basically the message I got from this whole entire article. And also, I do think uh, just a small little tidbit. I do think it's like in the almost like the biographical sense of this article too about um, Sade slash Helen is like how she kept a lot of things private. Mm-hmm. As almost as you were speaking earlier in that quote is like how she kept a lot of things private, but like was able to still say to a lot of people's human experiences. And just saying it was regarding all that. Um, she said, you can glean heartbreak and fury and legendary wild girl antics from Sade's art. Or you can keep it moving. And dude, that's just awesome. <laughs> that's just awesome. Because you can never, you, you can never just wallow in something for too long. You have to like just let it go, and you can let this music not let you let you live in your sadness, but it's helping you move forward. And I think that was the big thing that she got that she got from Shadi's music and how we all get from these artists. That's interesting yeah. too, because it like well that makes me think of like, and this is going to be a little bit go- <laughs> goofy. I mean, there's no way to not be like a little bit sentimental when talking about this piece, and maybe even come off as a little corny, but that's okay. Is like there's something, and I'm I'm tying back in the quilt metaphor one last time, which is there, you know, there's something about what you just said, Tyler, that is inherent about like more than kind of the structure of the quilt, which I've been using so far, but what the quilt itself actually represents at the end of the day, which feels very conclusive, which is like, you know, what I kind of talked about and is kind of I believe I had a quilt sewn by my grandmother, and then I feel like people have their mothers who sew them quilts. Uh and that it is that kind of comfort of protection to carry with you literally that's the representation of the quilt it's usually given to you as a child that like you know even when mom's sleeping in the other room and you're like scared and the dark in your bed at night you have like the quilts like okay mom's here with the quilt or i mean and you know people to carry those things with them throughout their lives is like that kind of level of security um and yeah that feels inherently like what sade uh provides for danielle yeah and, like, that's not corny because it's honest. And that's what, like, Danielle was talking about, right? She was saying that um, when she listens to Sade, even if the quote may sound corny to some people, it doesn't because it's honest and she feels it genuinely. And that honesty is what is what seems to make Sade connect so much with Danielle. Because outside of the studio, she's just living in normal honest life just as a person right then every now and again she'll just create this beautiful art 
that encapsulates that honesty. Yeah. And that's all it is. <laughs> yeah. Definitely. Beauty in musical auditory form. Yeah. Who are your I'm I have to I feel like we have to talk about this a little bit. Who are your Sade's? Brian, do you wanna go first? Um I gotta think. You go first, I gotta think. Um well it's I mentioned them earlier today. Um it's more so and more so than artists, it's a lot of them albums, but still yeah. artists. My um Lupe Fiasco yeah. is one of mine. It's um it's a matter of fact, I put it to like I I can actually like put it to uh four albums yeah. and probably more but four in particular um lupe fiasco's food and liquor kanye west lay registration mm. common b mm. um and neo in my own oh, words shit. wow i like that one cool man that feels like yeah, that first album i ever got first album yeah. i ever got my gifts from my dad that's wonderful yeah that's wonderful um for me I guess, like, ah, uh, okay, so the trinity of artists would be, um, Earl Sweatshirt, like, I just listened, which is not surprising to you guys, at all, is it, like, <laughs> you could have guessed that, like, <laughs> <Not at all. laughs> uh, but I listened to Solace a few days ago, mm-hmm. because I was feeling that shit, <laughs> and, um, mm-hmm. It's like he has such balance to his music that people don't recognize, and I think that's what draws me to him is because it's like no one sees the balance in this, like I strive for balance, and he puts it into his music so subtly, I think, mm-hmm. like on solace, there are these instrumental breaks, like everything he says on the album is actually really like you'd be worried about him mm-hmm. if it weren't for the instrumentals. Mm. Like those just wordless interview interviews that come in, just change the entire complexion of the whole thing, right? Yeah. And like the reason I find that to be akin to like why Danielle has a Sade is that like because they're wordless, they can mean so much at any point. They can mean anything, right? Yeah. They're just an abstract thing. They're just sounds that can connect with you in a different way, depending where you are. Yeah. And my other one would be um, Kid Cudi. Again, because of balance. I think it was because of the same thing. Yeah. Really. Just because of balance. Like, Man on the Moon 2 is a horribly depressing album. But you have a song, like, trapped in my mind right at the end. Yeah. That's like... Yeah, I'm never gonna be <laughs> like he basically says I'm never gonna be okay. <laughs> but I'm okay with that. Like I've accepted yeah. it and it's that kind of acceptance. Yeah. And um oh, I might have to copy Tyler with Common and B. Just the album. Just you. actually just It's Your World. Just the outro. Yeah. Oh. And the intro too to me. And the like, intro. The intro honestly. just that oh. oh, what's the line he says in the intro? Jeez, something about oh, something about putting like, like I want to be as free as a spirit, like those who left. Oh, I want to be as I want to be as free as the spirits of those who left. I'm talking Malcolm, Coaching. Martin, my man Yusuf. Yeah, um, Fruit. Yeah, that God, that there's that, something after I love like that song. Yeah. He talks about putting them in these lines or something like that. Yeah, and kind of, I don't know. It's like. 
again, turning sadness into something else and just kind of having the balance. And, like, It's Your World at the end yeah. talks about people who, like, stuff has just gone wrong. He tells these stories of things that just gone wrong. Yeah. But at the end of each verse, he says, um, all my life I plan not to be in this corner. I still want to see California, but this is my world. Mm-hmm. Right? It's like, yep. everything's gone wrong, but there's right. hope, right? Yeah, sorry, that was much longer than I wanted it to be. Nah, y'all <laughs> spitting bars, hey. Listen, <laughs> life bars. Life bars on ISOS, man. Um, so, mine, uh, <laughs> there's definitely, and it is impossible to deny, a assortment of Drake songs that feel very connected <laughs> to my life. I mean, uh, same. No, also there, same. It's not a, it's not an album. It's not the whole catalog, but there is this, there's a solid set of like five to 10 Drake songs that like very much like, I can't believe he's reading my mind and I'll, I'll hit you with the Drake bar that it will never leave my mind, which is, uh, well, the, actually let me tell you the first one that will never leave my mind is like, um, this is when I was younger was, is actually from a, a very early mixtape, but he says, um, I used to be about a boy like Hugh Grant. Now I'm a young man doing things that you can't when I was like trying to get in my zone for like, no, I got this. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> that was like my quote for myself. <laughs> that's a really deep cut. That's on a comeback season, I think. And that's from the song Must Hate Money featuring Rich Boy. Yeah, we out here with that. Um, but then the one that always hit me, I mean, but I feel like so many of the Drake ones are like when I'm trying to like figure out relationships and shit. And for sure, one is, um, why do I want an independent woman that feels like she needs me? I lost my way. That's like a huge one for sure. Um, <laughs> and then, <laughs> uh, then the, I mean, the artist that like carries with me and like grounds me for sure easily is Kendrick though. Like, I, I mean, mm. Heart Part 2 will ground me whenever I, need to be grounded like that is the i mean in that that intro with the guy where he's like you know what do you do to survive and he says the whole thing and yeah because it's just the most raw i mean when i heard that i was like oh my god i've never heard anything like this in my life and that that continued to hold true so i mean kendrick's really definitely a an artist that like has his is so much about like perspective for me so and then the other kendrick one was like the bar for sure if we're spitting the the bars that got us through here uh which is very much uh an abso's outro on section 80 which is um mm. uh i'm not on the outside looking in i'm not on the inside looking out i'm in the dead fucking center looking around forever will yes. be a soundtrack of my thoughts <laughs> uh you know i that's like a real one for me and then i other than that it's definitely specific albums and i mean we're going to talk about them at our end of the year list so i don't want to give that away exactly but also i mean last year that kiwanuka album really like held a place for me of like solace that felt very similar to what she was feeling for um Sade. um yeah shouts michael kiwanuka since i was like at the beginning talking about artists that i'm trying to sit down and talk to about life you're another one, so hit me up. Wow, yeah. <laughs> mm. Oh, also, quick two questions for Mickey about the about the two things you just... First of all, is that Kurt Cobain that is talking at the beginning of Heart Part 2? Oh. Because that's something I've always been trying to figure that out. Uh, If it is, that is news to me and a very, like, glass-shattering moment if that is Kurt Cobain. <laughs> because it would, it's so Cobain. crazy if that is the reality and something that I literally did not know. I do, I want to say I think that's why it's not on streaming services. I want I want to say because I can't I kind of think they can like. Clear I know that it's not sample. on streaming services say. for sure, but 
if that is the reason why. and i, I have hurt. not known that for this long in my life that is insane and secondly <laughs> is one of the drake songs fear because fear is one of my oh drake that's songs. funny it's not not for me not really Mine are very light. I mean, so much in well, I told you losses is low key one of them now. Um, one of the, the be, one of the ones, and this is like just for kind of goofy. One of them is definitely "How About Now" because it's like the best flex on my ex song ever. <laughs> that's like a d- deep cut. That's always going to be one of my favorite Drake ones because I feel like all of us it doesn't matter, you know, whoever. Like we all need a fucking flex on my ex song. That's just like such an inherent mood that you need to have. On God. On God. On God, bro. Exactly. <laughs> uh, the guy at the start of Heart Part 2 is called Dash Snow. Dash Snow? Dash Snow, yes. Snow, okay. Not I'm glad I know away. that. Because like, one of my friends brought it up to me the other day. Because like, they were like, is that Kurt Cobain? And I was like, I don't know. I never looked it up. So I was hoping you would Man, know. So this guy yeah. is a graffiti artist from New York. And he died of a drug overdose in 2009. Yeah. And that's from the mixtape Overly Dedicated. So. Yes. OD. OD. Track. There you go. Fun facts forever. with Insurgent Source. Kendrick, also, the final thing, Kendrick, don't listen to these fuckers pressing you about the album. We only want it when you Take want to give it to us, man. Fuck all that shit. Time. Take your time. When you're ready to when you're ready to put it out there, we'll embrace it. Listen to it. Take it in. Kendrick. Fuck, all, fuck all the album rushers of the world. Y'all are lame. Sit back, chill. A lot of good shit out there. As much as we are stuck oh. at home, we do not have time to process it because there's too much happening. Wait till we can yeah. go on long journeys to places and have <laughs> it be the soundtrack because that's how I like to consume yeah. your music. Exactly. Yep. Yep. And then also, I guess one last shout out to Kendrick. Like before we, I know we're about to close out. Kendrick, if you ever hear this, I have a whole play written, a whole stage play written of Good Kid Mad City. Somebody from TDE hit me. Like it's it's uh-huh. it's great. <laughs> hey, there you Need go. It. You gotta see that. All right. Okay. So that piece was on NPR, and it was a uh, Sade saves line notes from a lifelong soundtrack by Daniel Smith. And uh, yeah, that is our show. So please rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, if you're a writer who doesn't write for a massive publication and wants to see your um, work get more shine, send it into us because we'll, we'll read it and like it and stuff. And we're going through the same thing of trying to get on like bigger publications and trying to pitch. And we know that it's hard. So, um, yep. yeah, man, we're trying to help out in that way. Uh, yeah, I think that's all from me. So, uh, yeah, I'll let you guys sign off. Go first, Mick. Peace out, everyone. Thanks for listening. Uh, once again, thank you guys for always supporting us, Central Sauce. Um, listen, to, if you can, listen to our playlist, Season uh, Season Sauce and Sleepy Sauce, and and give our mailing list a try, guys. Just just put just put in that email. Yeah, for sure. Uh, yeah, you guys are doing great work on the playlist, so definitely check those out. Uh, shout out to Daniel Smith, Elijah C. Watson, and Grant Ridner for the pieces today. And yeah, see you on the next one, guys. This episode of In Search of Source features Ryan Gore, Mick Hellerback, and Tyler Jones of the Central Source Creative Collective. The episode is edited by me, Charlie Taylor, of the 5th Podcast Network. Music for this show is Fox Type by Basti. They secure breakers for the ability to use. 
This has been a Central Source and Fifth Element Podcast Network production. Links for Bass Teacher off Records, Central Source, Fifth Element, and content covered in the episode can all be found in the full show notes below. Thanks for listening, and we hope to see you next time as we continue our search for Source. Thank you.